28 minutes or less podcast with S. Foster. What's good, people? It's your boy S. Foster back for another episode of 28 Minutes or Less. This is episode 65 of the podcast. Um, subject matter today, I am back on my, um, hmm, I mean, what should I call it? I, I'm not sure what I should call it, but I came up with this idea of what I wanted to do. I've already done three people in this little collection of things that I want to do as far as like, I don't want to call it singling out, but there is a fascination that I have with, I guess we should call it, let's call it organized crime, right? With certain figures. I've done Larry Davis. I've done the Chamber Brothers. And I've done Lorenzo Fat Cat Nichols. Today, the subject matter is Jeff um, and before I get to there, I would like to say, first of all, thanks for everybody who support the podcast. Remember to always rate, subscribe, review. Um, you know, I would love to see feedback on places like Apple Podcasts. I appreciate everybody who take out the time to listen to the 28 Minutes or Less and support the 28 Minutes or Less. Also, all the other podcasts that I'm a part of. Um, the 4-3 Podcast, Viewers Anonymous, you know, shout out to Scoots Bronson, shout out to JD, shout out to E. Carter, shout out to Siege. Um, also, uh, congratulations to Siege uh, for putting out his new single. I listen to it, love it, so, you know, keep up the good work. So, Jeff Fort is a very interesting character. Um, that's why I like doing these, uh, because it's not that I'm glorifying the crime or the crimes that these people were committing or a part of or accused of all that type stuff what's interesting about these people is the different perspectives that you get from different people um you know jeff fort end up having you know these different names like some people call him angel some people call him angel of fear like he was looked at as a figure that was kind of strangely feared because in the 60s in his early years as a kid growing into a teenager he was always a short thin figure so people was like it's weird that people actually feared this dude um like there was there was an account of a person who said that they feared this dude when he was 11 years old he was like there was something in his eyes to where it, it made it was like he, he said it's something dark about his eyes where people feared him like he was feared as 11 year old and the crazy thing about it is this dude only had a fourth grade education and he was he got in trouble as a kid and he was on trial and like they said this dude was falsely illiterate like he 
you know, couldn't write, couldn't read. And so that was strange thing about him. But also at the same time with him being that, he was, I was about to say, I mean, you would have to say he's a tremendous leader. Whether you lead in good or bad, you could be a tremendous leader as in leading people to do great things or leading people to do bad things, i.e. Jim Jones. So, you know, Marilyn Manson. So you could be a leader, whether it's good or bad, you could still be considered a leader. So it was weird that this thin kid uh, from Aberdeen, Mississippi was feared as a kid. And then his mom moved, you know, him and, you know, some of the family members up to Chicago in 55. And that's when really everything changed because he moved to a neighborhood called Woodlawn. And Woodlawn was, at the time, lower to middle class, middle class blacks mostly. Um, and when Jeff Fort got up there, he met this one guy. And this guy was like, he met Jeff Fort when he was 16 years old. He was like, he was 17. And at the time, Jeff was already known around the hood of being like this leader guy. And so then he ended up being, you know, the leader of the Black Stone Rangers. And, you know, they used to go against, you know, the East Side Disciples and all this type of shit. But what ended up happening is the Black Stone Rangers ended up being so powerful and so strong to the fact that these other gangs ended up joining them because they, they couldn't outpower them which he was led by Jeff and Jeff was a teenager at the time. So they ended up joining. It was like 21 games. And after they joined, they changed their name to the Peach Stone Ranger. Uh, I mean, not the Peach Stone Ranger, but the Peach Stone Nation. You know, when they ended up joining like these 21 gangs or whatever. So what made them very powerful and which is really crazy because this is something that I recently found out because I didn't know about this, but and there's two different stories to it. And that is the story of Jeff Fort's life. You have these different accounts of him. Like everyone has these different opinions of what Jeff was, what Jeff meant, some of the things that ended up going down under his leadership. It was just all these different stories. So there was a reverend of a Presbyterian church in the area in Chicago and the reverend was John Fry and even John Fry there are different accounts of what he done and what he actually was doing because one of the dudes that was uh, actually in the game of the Black Peach Stone um, Nation said that they kidnapped John Fry Reverend John Fry for four days said they had him tied up they was feeding him all this type of stuff because John Fry said that he didn't want weapons and drugs to be inside of his church. But John Fry and his associates say different. They say that they let them use the first uh, Presbyterian church. Okay. And let them store their weapons there, their drugs there, and basically run their criminal enterprise out of the church. Yes. I said that. But John Fry said that he was trying 
to change the kids. He was trying to save the kids. Not only him, but there was also another guy named Richard Paley who was trying to save the kids as well because this is what ended up happening. This is the thing that was going around in the hood at the time that the um, Blackstone Rangers slash uh, Black Peachstone Nation were using kids. Okay, using kids from the ages 10 to 12 to commit murder, murder, robbery, all this type of stuff. And And they said that they had kids to get into the game. All right. This ain't what we see in most movies. Most movies, it's always, you know, you, you took a beat down to get into the game. This wasn't the situation. You had to kill somebody. So there were kids going around from the age 10 to 12, going around killing people. Okay. Um, all around the Woodlawn neighborhood, residency, whatever you want to call it. So you have these preachers who say that they was trying to take in the Black Peachstone Rangers because it was so full of kids that they was actually trying to save these kids. But you have an account of a guy that was in the game saying that no, Fry didn't want to do that. Reverend Fry didn't want to do that. Reverend Fry actually, we kidnapped him, we tied him up, and he was like, he was very relentless on not wanting to give up his church for these type of things. And that's his opinion of it. So that's the whole thing about Jeff Fort because there is people who say that Jeff Fort was doing right, and then there are some people that say Jeff Fort was doing wrong. There were people that spoke about how Jeff Fort was involved in certain murders. There was one murder that was ha- that happened. Um, they said it happened in um, December of 68. And they said it was Christmas Day. Jeff Fort went up to this kid's apartment, pulled him out of the house, and all the people that went with him that day, um, I think they said it was like 10 or 12 people. And the 10 or 12 people all it said Jeff Fort told them to give him a kiss on his forehead. So all the people lined up, gave him a kiss on the forehead, and they went at the end of that, they shot him in the mouth for the whole thing of the kiss of death. Now, this story was going around the hood as like it's it's not a myth. Like this actually happened. This is an account. It's well documented on what ended up happening in that whole situation. Well, another thing that makes Jeff Fort very interesting is the fact that Jeff Fort was was being given money through different organizations. Um, There was one guy named Ben Davis who gave them money, and Ben Davis was saying that he gave them money to fund because Jeff had a whole bunch of fronts of like he was doing good things in the community, right? And that it wasn't for drugs and it wasn't for weapons and all of this type stuff. So this dude was actually giving money and what that money was doing was paying for lawyers and bailing people out of jail. Because the whole thing about Jeff and his whole crew was the fact that 
every time that Jeff was arrested for a majority of the time they couldn't never put anything on him whether people didn't want to testify against him but he also had people in his back that was speaking positive things for him but nothing ended up happening and another thing Jeff was seen around people like Jesse Jackson and I mentioned this before that even a brief time where Fred Hampton um, Chairman Fred was even involved in trying to speak with Jeff about doing the right thing um, it's well documented when you watch the movie Black Messiah, Judas and the Black Messiah is that Jeff, not Jeff, but that Chairman Fred would go and speak with these gang members who tried to get them to convert to doing really good things in the neighborhood instead of selling drugs committing murder and all this type of stuff. Like Jeff, not Jeff, but Fred, Chairman Fred would try to use the power that you have because Jeff had tremendous power in Chicago at the time and then if he would have used it for good because they ended up using the Black Peachstone Rangers as in well in a, a political sense like they could have had political power especially at that time because that was very convincing in the things that they were doing and not only that Jeff was able to put together a uh, it was like a group of kids they went on to the show and they said that they were part of the Black Peace Stone Nation and they was making a turn that they wasn't a gang member group anymore they were um, kids that were on the bad path but they ended up singing and now they they using it, it basically ended up being a front like the kids that he ended up sending to that show wasn't even really a part of the Black Peace Stone Nation they just used the name Black Peace Stone Nation to say that hey we were doing bad things under this name, but now we're doing good things under this name. So it was it was always hard to pin Jeff Fort as this fear figure, drug de dealer, gang leader, when he is associated with Reverend John Fry. He's also associated with Reverend Bailey, who, not Reverend, but Richard Bailey, who is trying to save the kids as well. Because, as we know, when it comes to the 60s, a lot of things was changing at that time. The 60s was a very, was a very interesting time because when you have the Civil Rights Act of 64 and the Voters' Rights Act of 65, and then you have figures who, where you had just lost Malcolm X. You have figures like Dr. Martin Luther King. Jesse Jackson is on the rise. Well, not really on the rise. but Well, yeah, he's on the rise because Jesse didn't really hit his full potential to the 80s. And then you have people like, if you're in that lane, you have Elijah Muhammad, 
you have Farrakhan, very young Farrakhan. You got Chairman Fred Hampton. So you got all of these different leaders in the 60s at this time. And you have Lyndon B. Johnson, who's, you know, looked at as a positive figure when it came to the black community for the things that he done in 64 and 65. So it's a very interesting time. So Chicago, especially Chicago, was going through different changes at this time. And the Woodlawn neighborhood, like I said, it was a decent neighborhood. But when it came to the murders that was happening, when it came to the drug dealing, the organized crime that was going through that time were also the changes that black people were able to do more things that people ended up moving out of Woodlawn when it got to the mid-70s because they're like, yo, it's too much murder, it's too much crime. All the businesses around that area ended up shutting down. And for what? They ended up shutting down because of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King in 68. And so now the riot. So because, you know, there were certain riots that went through the country at this time. And one of the places that the riots hit was Chicago, the west side of Chicago. So now the west side of Chicago is burning. Um, there's looting going on. There's all that type of shit. We all know what happened during the riot. The fear was the rioting moving from the west side of Chicago to the south side of Chicago. And what ended up happening, one of the things that a lot of people spoke on it is they said that Jeff Fort took the Black Peachstone Nation and he actually protected the south side of Chicago and actually helped white residents to safety. Right. And there was a guy who had went to uh, the high school that was on the south side of Chicago. He actually knew Jeff Fort. And so he was asked, yo, do you think Jeff did that for the betterment of the people? Or do you think Jeff did that because he knew that he would be revered for it? And he was like, the thing about Jeff, even though people try to say that he's a functional illiterate. Is the fact that Jeff was very calculated at everything that he did. Like he didn't just do things for no reason. So there was a reason why he ended up doing that because they knew that he can have financial gain, power gain, all of that. So they knew that they would take that one situation of him helping white residents and actually using the Black Peachstone Nation to stop rioters from going to the south side of Chicago that it would help in the long run. It's all about playing checkers, not chess. I mean, excuse me, I said that wrong. Chess, not checkers. So with him doing that move, it bought him time. Now also what's going on at this time, going into the 70s, well, right before you get there, like I said, so this, this, this whole neighborhood was decimated. Like after the riots, that's when really people started moving out and black people are being able to move in another in other neighborhoods because I say at this time the country is slowly progressing let's say that um, so this neighborhood is completely devastated but also at this time there was a detective Peck um, there was one of the gang members who was speaking about uh, detective Peck he also was talking about it was 
the game unit started closing in on the Black Peachstone Rangers, and they was like basically Peck, who was a black uh, detective, was getting too close. And so it was said that Jeff put in the hit to get this cop taken out. Um, Detective Peck said he pulled up to this apartment building. Some of the members saw him, started shooting, said, I don't know if he meant his car got hit 15 times or he got hit 15 times, but it was one of the two. And so they really turned up the heat after that. After that happened, they really turned up the heat. In 72, Jeff ended up getting locked up. So Jeff ended up getting locked up. And this was, let me see. He got locked up in 72. But he ended up getting out in 76. The time that he was in jail, he beefed up, he got buffed, and he also, he grew up as a Baptist, but he ended up changing his religion, and now he's a Muslim. Changed his name to Iman, and he formed this group called the El Rukins. So, now you're thinking, okay, well, Jeff Fortner made the change. You know, Jeff Fort is now... Muslim, he changed his name to Iman. Now he's gonna go the right route. But that's what we thought. He ended up, but but like I say, even with this, even with me saying this, there's still two different perspectives of the El Rukins. Is one is that he still was dealing with the guns. Now he's selling weed, crack cocaine, and heroin, and yeah, and cocaine, crack cocaine and cocaine, and so they just using the whole Muslim thing to get by, so the El Rukins, like even when they spoke to a lot of these people, the name Angel still stuck with Jeff Ford. Um, like a lot of those guys still feel that Jeff Ford didn't do anything wrong, but I don't know if it was just the fact of they were just using themselves to not incriminate themselves because why would you do that on camera? Why would you incriminate yourself on camera? Even um, if you have uh, I forget the, uh, the legal term, but anyway you wouldn't really incriminate yourself when it comes to all this type of stuff. So the El Rukans ended up being a political Muslim group to the point where there was a lady uh, running for office in Chicago named Jane Barnes who gave them $10,000 to support them. They took the 10 grand. <laughs> And then these jokers uh, supported somebody else. <laughs> and she didn't win. So, but the crazy part about Jeff was Jeff was always able to convince people to give them money. That was one of the reasons why Jeff was on trial again. 
Well, he was on trial in 68. See, this what he was arrested for in 72 was the misuse of funds. Um, they said that Jeff ended up getting over a million dollars of money, and they said that he misused those funds. That was the whole reason why he was locked up in 68 in the first. Well, he was on trial in 68, but he ended up going, he was in and out of jail for the simple fact of contempt of court. Jeff would go in there. And he would only say his name. My name is Jeff Fort. Then they start questioning him. He would get up and he would walk out. So he was locked up uh, numerous times for um, contempt of court because he wouldn't speak about um, the funds. But then they was able to tie him to those funds and lock him up in 72, which he was locked up for four years for. And during that time, he was already in D.C. Jeff Fort was invited to the White House. Okay, invited to the White House for the inauguration of Richard Nixon. Yes, I said that right. So the that is some of the confusion that come along with Jeff Fort for the simple fact of this dude is seen as the angel of death. This dude is looked at as a murderer, a drug dealer, a gang leader. But also at the same time, he's looked at as a political figure where he's getting money from different organizations throughout the country. He's getting support from, in some people's eyes, some people viewed it differently, but he's getting support from reverence from the First Baptist Church. He's being seen and spoke, uh, spoken to Fred, uh, Chairman Fred Hampton and Jesse Jackson so he, he's a very confusing figure to tie anything to this dude because he has good people supporting him, but he also got the cops who have nothing but bad things to say about him and say that he's just causing destruction and misery to, you know, the Woodlawn area in Chicago. But you also got political figures. And like I say, he had not just political figures, but he had companies. I was about to say CEOs, but I'm not sure about if, if that was actually CEO people that was talking to him. But there were companies who was funding him money. He ended up getting over a million dollars in funds. Okay? A million dollars in funds where they said that he misused those funds. And that's what he got locked up for. And then got out in 78 and he came out as Iman. He's a Muslim. So the wild thing about that is the way that he ended up getting caught again because he was always being arrested and then going on trial and let out because of miscalities, whether they could not tie him to these crimes, whether it was lack of witnesses, but then witnesses start coming up missing. They could never tie him to anything. Like every time they thought they had something, they couldn't do anything. So the funny thing about what ended up getting him caught again is he actually was calling people from back home, back in Mississippi, other family members there. Didn't know that it was a tap on the phone. And in 83, he ended up getting locked up again um, from those wiretaps that they had on him. So after he was let out on bond, he fled the country. Um, he made the most wanted list. The U.S. Marshals were looking for him. 
they said that he was tied to places like Puerto Rico, but it was it couldn't confirm that. But then he ended up coming back, turning himself in. So when he turned himself in, Jeff was as most <laughs> as most people with this type of power still running all of his businesses through the jail. Um, they couldn't fuck with him. They couldn't stop him. And I'm thinking the reason why he came back was because the thing is you have to be able to figure out the coded language. So they're using all of this coded language because they know that the jail phones is tapped. So they're using this coded language to run the business the way that Jeff wanted it ran. So Jeff is still in charge while he's locked up. We have heard these stories millions of times, especially when it comes to the Italians. They're always running their businesses through the jail. But I'm not going to give the Italians all the credit because this was still done by people like Tookie Williams. It was still done by people like uh, Larry Hoover. It was still done by people like Nikki Bonds. Like, there were still people who ran a business that wasn't Italian and white people. Uh, there was a lot of black people who was able to do the same thing through the jail system. So he's locked up in 83. So then what ended up happening is Jeff ended up joining forces with I don't want to say, okay, let me rephrase that. I won't say joining forces, but he heard that Louis Farrakhan got involved, got involved with Libya and they started using, he said that it was something that around like $5 million ended up being given to the nation of Islam when Louis Farrakhan was running it. And so Jeff Ford is like, yo, there's some money that can be made in this Muslim thing. So let me get involved with Libya as well. What ended up happening is when Jeff Ford reached out to them, I forget what that, I think it was Sadafi. He gave the guidance of Sadafi. Sadafi ended up giving them um, the um, the El Rukins, ended up giving the El Rukins $2 million. And what ended up happening is like they got, they wanted these rocket launchers, you know, they ended up giving them weapons and all this type stuff. And Jeff ended up being convicted on conspiracy to commit terrorism in 87. He was found guilty, sentenced to 80 years. Um, which was weird because he knew unless the FBI, CIA, whoever, ATF, whoever got all involved in this, it, I don't know if he stopped using the coded language or what, but they was able to tie them in Libya to uh, conspiracy to commit terrorism against the United States and he got sentenced to 80 years where Jeff Ford is today. So, like I said, he's he's a very interesting character for somebody to be um, the last grade that they, I don't know if completed or the last grade they was in with the fourth grade to build an enterprise they ended up building to have these different perspectives as being feared or being revered looked at as a different type of figure some people looked at him as a great figure because some people called him angel some people call him the angel of death like there's so many different perspectives when it comes to somebody like jeff fort i just think that he's an interesting character 
Not saying that I agree with any other things that he done, uh, whether that was good or bad. I'm just fascinated with these type of people um, to where that they can come from, where they come from, and get involved in the things that they got involved in. And if it could have been used for good or bad, I still think that it take a different type of intelligence to do these type of things that these people do, whether they use it in a positive in a positive sense or they use it in a negative sense there is still a thing that if you look at it in a business perspective for this dude to finish or last grade he attended with the fourth grade to be called a functional illiterate to be on trial for the misuse of a million dollars I've never seen a million dollars this dude seen a million dollars in, in the 60s, in the late 60s. Okay? This dude was invited to the White House to go to the inauguration of Richard Nixon. Now, he didn't say if he supported Richard Nixon or not. That's not what we're here for right now. What we're here for is the fact that he got invited there. Now, he ended up sending uh, one of his generals to it. He ended up not going himself. But for a congressperson to uh, Jane Barnes to give the Black Peace Star, oh no, no, this this is when they changed to the L. Rukins, to give the L. Rukins ten thousand dollars for the uh, for her uh, for their support, and then they end up supporting somebody else to be able to finesse people out of money the way that he finessed people out of money to finesse a Reverend Fry to now like I say it's two different stories to this. Some people say that. They kidnapped him and forced him to get in the church to use the church to hold their guns and they drugs and all that type of stuff or for him to give it to them willingly. It's up for debate. It's up for you to believe what you want to believe or how you want to believe it. Um, that's all I'm going to get into, man, when it comes to Jeff Fort. Um, I hope y'all enjoy these. You know, I... I want to have more on the way. I like to use these different figures. I was talking to my cousin on Thanksgiving where I was saying that I don't want to do unless the people want to hear it. Like, I don't want to do people like like Frank Lucas. Like there's a whole movie, you know, American Gangster that's on him. He's one of the most well-known people. Like I don't want to do people like Nikki, um, Nikki Bonds. Because he's, you know, Mr. Untouchable. Like, a lot of people know about him. Like, not necessarily these characters. That's why, like I said in the very beginning of this podcast, I've done Larry Davis, I've done the Chamber Brothers, and I've done um, Lorenzo Fat Cat Nichols. Like, these people aren't as high on the list as people like Nicky Bonds, Frank Lucas and Ricky um, Ricky Ross, like they they are a, a, a tier below them, I would say. So I would rather do these people who just might be slightly more unknown. But if y'all want me to do those people, I will do that as well. Um, so that's all I got for episode sixty five today. I appreciate everybody. Um, shout out to Casey. That's the music you hear in the background. He's the one who done the intro music we're working on some things behind the scenes i appreciate that dude with everything that he do 
He is definitely a part of the team, but also shout out to the team when it comes to Scoots Bronson, JD Oracle, Siege, E. Carter. I appreciate everybody. Thank all the people who uh, take out the time to listen to this podcast and support this podcast. I know it's been a while. I'm going to try to be more consistent. Just been really busy. A lot of things going on. A lot of changes in the life. And also, holidays kind of mess some stuff up. But I'm back. Be looking for another episode very soon. It's S. Foster signing out for episode 65. Appreciate everybody. Oh, also, before I get out of here, you can follow me on the socials at s.foster8. That's on IG and Twitter at 28 Minutes or Less Pod on IG, 28 Minutes or Less on Facebook. Also, go find View Anon Pod that is on IG and it's on Twitter. You can follow the VA Podcast Watch Group page on Facebook. Uh, send an invitation. We will invite you into the group. Also, check out Official four, uh, 43. That's on Twitter for the 43 pod. Also, you can go to 43 underscore pod on IG to follow as well. I appreciate all the support. And until the next time, I'm out.